0: Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers and sisters, or father or mother or children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first.
1: There was a man by the name of David Freeman who a number of years ago co-wrote a book which was called 100 Things to Do Before You Die. Uh, apparently, it's a uh, travel guide which has inspired many people to uh, uh, to get out there and to do things that they would never have thought of doing otherwise. Uh, the book uh, starts by saying this: let me quote: "This life is a short journey. How can you make sure you fill it with the most fun? and that you visit the coolest places on earth before you pack those bags for the very last time. End of quote. One hundred things to do before you die. And it sort of captures a lot of what many people think, even though they may not say it that way, that life is all about having a great time, life is all about visiting cool places and doing interesting things, And also that life does not go on forever, so what you need to do is make sure that you don't waste any opportunities, that you pack it all in uh, before you have to pack your bags for the very last time. Now what is it then that uh, makes a person's life complete? Uh, What would make your life complete, satisfied and fulfilled? Uh, Dave Freeman thought that it was if you did those 100 things that uh, that would do the trick for you, but, but we don't always, uh, not everyone thinks the same way, uh, but, so I want to ask the question, what is it for you? What is it that would make your life complete? We chase after fulfillment, don't we? Uh, but it proves so often to be elusive. The author of the Ecclesiastes says that it is, it's like chasing after the wind. You kind of, think you're catching it then it sort of slips through your fingers. You can't quite get there. We chase wealth only to find that rich people are people who actually de- themselves desire more and more and more because they're not satisfied. We uh, chase after and, and we hope that relationships maybe would do the trick for us, that they uh, would satisfy our deepest need. But then... We are let down by people. Indeed, we let other people down ourselves. And uh, we find that people, even people who are married to the most desirable of spouses, we hear about them actually looking for affection elsewhere because the relationships have not satisfied their deepest need. Even religion fails to satisfy uh, men and women uh, regularly indulging in performing rituals uh, day after day, week after week, but finding that there is still this void, this uh, empty space in their heart. It is this uh, lack of completeness that uh, led the rich young ruler to approach Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, which you might want to have open in front of you, and you can follow it in uh, the sermon outlines as well in your bulletins. Now, let's think about this rich young man. We uh, spent a whole sermon talk about him last. Sunday. But uh, what was his situation in life? Well, as for wealth and status, he was what you would call an A-lister. He was a wealthy man. He was a man of power and influence. In respect to uh, religious morality, we would say that he was outstanding, that at least on the outside, on the surface, it appeared that he had obeyed so many of the commandments. Yet even so... Even so, in his heart, he knew that there was something missing. And that something was eternal life. Now let me digress for a moment and say that in the Bible, that eternal life does not just mean the length of duration of that life. That certainly is eternal in terms of that eternal length of duration. But it is more than that. Eternal life refers to the fullness of life. Uh, It is about living forever, but it's about living forever in the very way that uh, God has created us to live. Uh, To enjoy eternal life means to live for the very purpose for which you have been designed. It is a fullness of life. It is completeness of life. It is satisfaction in life, and a satisfaction which can be yours forever. And here is this man, he is wealthy, he is young, he is powerful, and his question for Jesus is, I want some of that. He says, what good thing must I do to get this eternal life? Now in this second half of Matthew 19, Jesus has three conversations. We're going to look at each one of these conversations one by one because each of the conversations helps us to understand what it means to have life as God intended. The first conversation is in verses 13 through to 15. Uh, Little children had been brought to Jesus so that he would put his hands on them, pray for them, that he would bless these little children. Uh, The disciples uh, didn't think that Jesus should be particularly bothered about these little children, but uh, Jesus says no, no. In verse 14 he says, Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now that's important, that is critical. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. This this encounter uh, is recorded in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, what the theologians call the Synoptic Gospels. And in Luke's account... Luke is a little bit more specific about the age of the particular children. Uh, the, uh, the word that Luke uses is the word for babies. It's the word for infants. It's the word for babies that are still suckling their, their mothers. It is, you, know, you see, what we've got here... You know, the Sunday school pictures often have the little children running up to Jesus and grabbing hold of him and that sort of thing. This was parents actually bringing nursing babies along. To Jesus. That was their age bracket. Now, the question is, why should babies be the model for the type of person who will inherit the kingdom of heaven? That's the question. What is it about babies that makes them different to the rest of us? Well, the thing is that a baby is 100% dependent upon his or her parents. 100% dependent. They, the baby has to trust mum and dad in everything. They are humble, they are dependent. And it's for that reason that these babies illustrate what it means to have a right attitude towards Jesus. Because the person who gets to enjoy eternal life in heaven is just like that. They they, they take that crown off their heads and they entrust their life into the hands of Jesus. Now that is a big problem for a lot of people, isn't it? The idea of handing control of your life over to God and to his son, the idea of trusting God fully for everything, and the idea of trusting God to that extent and, and expressed in that way that means that If God says something, then you obey it because you trust that God's word is true and that God's way is always the best way, irrespective of what you might think. To hand your life over to God, well, that's a big problem to a lot of people because people say, well, no thanks. I'm I'm happy to believe that God exists. I'm happy to even go to church. I'm happy to do this and that. But I want to keep control over my own life. I want to be my own master. I know that's what God says, but I know what's best for me. And that is the nature of sin. Uh, underlying our sinful activities is an attitude towards God which says, I don't want you controlling my life. I don't trust you controlling my life. I want to live my life my way. And that is not like the babies, is it? Uh, the babies trust their parents, but we as human beings say No. We'll do it our way, thanks very much. It reminds me of a song by Frank Sinatra. Well, the Frank Sinatra used to sing, I think Paul Inker wrote the song. Those of you who are a bit older than me would know more about this than I do. How to lose half the congregation in one comment. (laughs) Well, Frank Sinatra sang this song and... uh, it goes, "I had a choice between Frank Sinatra's song and a song by Pink. And if I used the song by Pink, I was going to lose the other half of the congregation. <laughs> we'll reserve the pink song for another time. But this is what Frank Sinatra sang, and he said, "And now I won't sing it for you." He says, "And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I've travelled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. way. And then he goes on and uh, he says, yeah, regrets, I've had a few. But basically he's saying what makes it all worthwhile that no matter what I did and how I did it, the fact of the matter is I did it my way. And that justifies everything, the fact that I did it my way. And you see, that song, it sort of captures a, a, a lot of, Uh, of how people actually live. It's not God's way, it's my way, and that is sin. But what Jesus is saying is, no, like the little babies, we actually have to give up my way, and we have to entrust our lives into the hands of God and his son Jesus. Which, in the second conversation, is the very thing which the rich young ruler was not prepared to do. He wasn't prepared to do that. In verse 16, if you have a look at that, he approached Jesus with this question, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Um, Notice the emphasis on what he does. There was a report, actually, that Frank Sinatra, before he died, he wanted to arrange to uh, confess his sins to the Pope, and uh, he said that um, it would be his best performance ever because he would be recounting to God how he had broken every one of the Ten Commandments, but that he did it my way. <laughs> All right? uh, now, you see, the rich young man didn't think like that. He actually thought that he had obeyed the Ten Commandments. We went into that a lot last week. But he still knows, nevertheless, that he lacks something. And Jesus knows it too. So in verse 21, Jesus says to him, look, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, the word that is translated as perfect, it's the word teleos, teleos. Uh, it, it has a broader meaning than simply perfect. It means complete. It means full. Uh, it means the end point. It's actually the word we get the word telescope from, that you look at something close up that you can see the end point. Uh, it's the word teleos. It means if, if, it's satisfaction. It, it's Nothing is lacking. And, and you know what it's like, don't you, that uh, when you uh, feel... Uh, satisfied, or when you rather feel full, that you're satisfied, aren't you? There's a great sense of satisfaction after you've had a full meal at a restaurant. And so if you want to be the complete man, if you want that void in your life to be filled, then Jesus says to the young man, what you need to do is you need to actually entrust your life 100% to God. Now, what would be the litmus test for this young man? Well, this young man trusted in his wealth for his security and for his significance. So Jesus says to him, give away your wealth. I mean, if you truly trust me, you will realize that you don't need a safety net. Do you really trust me? Then get rid of the safety net. That's the litmus test. And as we saw last week, the rich man could not get rid of his safety net and he walked away sad from Jesus. And this led to the third conversation. Uh, In verses 23 through to 30, uh, Jesus and his disciples debriefed the encounter. Let me read verse 23 for you. Uh, Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with Man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, is it possible for any rich person, uh, or rather, is it impossible for any rich person to ever enter into the kingdom of God? Uh, we know that the answer to that is no. Uh, in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus was a rich man, and he came, he encountered Jesus, and uh, was uh, a man who became a follower of Christ and he gave away half of his possessions and he gave back everything that he'd stolen from people and he did that without even being asked to do so by Jesus. It was just a natural act of repentance. Um, and people debate here as to whether this means that it's, you know, is, is Jesus saying it's impossible or it's just very hard or whatever. Apparently, the idea of the eye, the camel going through the eye of a needle, was a Jewish. Uh, uh, way of expressing things that they borrowed from the Persians. The Persians would, would talk about a, an elephant going through the eye of a needle. Uh, you know, something which is impossible. You have elephants uh, in Palestine. The problem rich people have is that it's hard for them to be dependent like the baby. That's the issue. Uh, in Jesus' day, people even thought that if a person was rich, then what that meant was that they were the person who was specially blessed by God. Um, if you were rich, that was because you really trusted God and that you were extra godly. Sort of a half-truth, isn't it? Uh, because we know that uh, our possessions and so on come from God, so they, they are good, we all need money, we all need houses, etc., etc. But what they were saying was that that was actually the demonstration that you were a person who was especially godly. Was wrong. It's a bit like the prosperity gospel that has so poisoned many of our churches in our current day. And it explains why, in verse 26, the disciples were so shocked by what Jesus was saying. And they responded by saying, well, look, if the rich can't get in, then who can? But rich people are surrounded by safety nets. That's the issue. Bank accounts, share portfolios... Investment properties and investment properties and investment properties, and it goes on and on and on. And the more that they acquire, the harder it is to break free. The more that they acquire, the more that they own, the harder it is to not be trusting in those things. Now, those things are not necessarily wrong. Uh, We need money, we need houses, they are God's provision. But what place do those things occupy in your heart? Would you be prepared to give up those things in order to uh, to serve God more effectively? Uh, would you be prepared to give up those things in order to be more generous to the poor uh, or to invest in the kingdom of God and the expansion of the kingdom of that? That is the issue. I see people say, well, it's hard for me. It's hard because... I have worked all my life. I've worked so hard to get what I've gotten. I've gotten so much. And that, of course, is Jesus' point, precisely. Now, Peter is the disciple who always speaks up and says the things that other people only think. And in verse 27, Peter says, Well, what about us? I mean, we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Now, following Jesus doesn't mean that every Christian's got to give up their job and go into full-time ministry. But the 12 disciples had actually done that. And they had jobs, they had businesses, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors and so on. And they had laid all of that on the line. They had, they had walked away from that in order to follow after Jesus. Uh, What they had done, what the rich young man refused to do. So they're kind of interested to know about their futures. And as Christians, we ought to be interested to know what is our future? Uh, Where do we stand in relation to uh, eternity? And so have a look at verse 28. In verse 28... Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, can you, those of you who are regular, can you remember, uh, what, uh, where we read only recently about the Son of Man sitting on his throne? Where did we read about that recently? I can't hear The book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, in fact, if you want to, say, put your bulletin in uh, at Matthew 19 and just turn back to Daniel chapter 7, uh, if you're new or visiting us, we've just completed a series of sermons on the book of uh, Daniel. And uh, in Daniel chapter 7, we uh, read the account of uh, Daniel's vision. It was the vision where he saw four beasts. I think there was a bear, a leopard, uh, an eagle, and there was a really awful uh, one as well that uh, uh, was defied description. And in the interpretation of the dream, this is what we see. Uh, In uh, verses 13 to 14, So Daniel is looking from the vantage point of heaven uh, where the Ancient of Days, God the Father, is seated and he sees coming to the Ancient of Days on the clouds uh, one like a son of man and the son of man is enthroned as the, uh, as the, as the ruler. Now if you go over to uh, verse 27, over the page, He says that then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the the saints, uh, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. If you want to know more about Daniel 7, um, website www.pmpc.org look up Daniel 7 you can hear that sermon. What we see here is the prophecy of Daniel tells us that the that that, that history is heading in a direction that's heading to that point where the Son of Man, who we know is Jesus, where Jesus uh, is uh, ascended to heaven, is seated uh, at the throne uh, with the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and that Jesus is ruling over uh, all of God's kingdom. Jesus is ruling over the universe. That is Jesus' destiny. Uh, From where Peter stands now as they're uh, talking, having had the little conversation with the rich young ruler, Jesus doesn't look like that, but after his resurrection and ascension, that would be clear. That is where Jesus is heaven. That, That is his inheritance. But then in verse 27... Jesus will share his rule with the saints. Now, saints doesn't mean a special category of religious people. It's not people who've got their faces in stained glass windows. The saints means uh, holy ones. It means people who are separate, who are different from others. It means that people who are actually prepared to give up their lives and follow Jesus. If we are Christians, it is us. So what it's saying there is that... Uh, uh, Is that Jesus will share that rule uh, with those who are united with Him? Uh, In the Romans chapter eight, we learned that uh, if we if we trust in Christ, that we are actually His brothers, and we share in His inheritance, and that inheritance is this great position of rule and authority. And so, when Peter says to Jesus, "Well, what's in it for us?" Jesus says, "Well, if you put your trust in me, then you will share in my rule forever." Now, what could be better than that? Uh, what could be more satisfying? What could be more rewarding than being with Christ, ruling over the kingdom of heaven? Now, friends, that is the that is the fulfilment of human potential. But the blessings start now. Uh, Have a look again at uh, chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus goes on to say, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake, and I think fields means careers here, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And So briefly what this is saying is that trusting in Jesus and not trusting in other safety nets, and following Jesus means that uh, it's going to be costly to us. It means that it's going to cost us in in our whole lives. It'll cost us our time, our effort, our money as we invest in the things of God, it may even cost us relationships, even within our families, as people perhaps reject us because we're putting our faith in someone uh, in Christ. But what happens is that when we leave these things and follow Jesus, we, that we join in with a much bigger family. That we find that uh because Christ is already ruling in the hearts of other people, that we have brothers and sisters and we have homes where we are welcome even all over the world. Now, what is it then that causes lack of fulfillment in our lives? Well, when God created Adam and Eve, they were to rule the world and they were to rule their lives under God's authority. That is what we see in the first chapters of Genesis. It was only when they stopped Trusting God, that things fell apart. God said, You may eat of every fruit uh, of of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the uh, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve said, Well, it looks pretty tasty, and we actually think maybe God doesn't have our best interest in heart. Well, we'll go ahead and do it anyway. And it's when they rejected God's authority over their lives, when they stopped trusting in God, that uh, frustration, emptiness, even death entered into their lives. Jesus once said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has reversed the effects of the fall. And friends, there can be nothing more fulfilling, and can, there can be nothing more rewarding, than to live your life for the very purpose for which you have been designed. Now that makes sense when you think about it, doesn't it? If God, if you have been designed to be a being who is in the image of God, who trusts God in everything, if you've been designed to live in order to bring honour and glory to your Creator, to obey Him, if that's wired into you, if that's the reason for which you've been designed and you've been designed that way, then when you decide that you're not going to live that way, and in fact you're going to live for a different purpose entirely, then you ought to expect that life is not going to fit together the way that it should. We ought to expect that things are going to start to fall apart for us, our society and the world. Now, David Freeman said that there were 100 things to do before you die. The sad thing is that David Freeman himself did not achieve the 100 things. Uh, About nine months ago, uh, at the age of 47, he fell, he hit his head, and he died. Uh, The newspapers reported that of the 100 things that he had to do before he died, the very author of that book only achieved 50 of those things before he died. Jesus says, no, there's actually only one thing that you need to do before you die. And that one thing is to learn to trust in him. That one thing is to be like a baby who implicitly trusts his or her parents for everything. Do you trust God like that? Are you holding on to safety nets? Are you prepared to give your life over abundantly and freely to the one who has created you in terms of your priorities in life? In terms of your obedience? Are you prepared to trust him and prepared to be like that little baby? For Jesus says, it is these ones who represents." They're those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. Uh, We thank you that uh, you speak to us through your word and spirit. Father, we thank you that your word uh, is so clear that there is a purpose in life, and that is to trust, honour and obey you. Father, we confess that we are guilty of living our life our way and not your way, and that we pray that you would help us to rid our lives of those safety nets, whatever they might be for us, that we can trust in you and obey you freely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.